Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Scott Rose shares how a disappointment led to a life change. I am not a doctor, nor do I play one on television. But I can assure you that if someone tries to set you on fire, you will quickly have two things happen. One, you will try to figure out what it is about you that separates you so much from your peers that you are fire-worthy, I suppose. And the second thing that probably will happen is you will develop, at least later on in life, some type of massive crippling social anxiety disorder. I was, um, I was, it was in sixth grade, and I was riding home from school on the school bus, and um, I was being made fun of by this kid my age uh, for clearly being different, in this case, gay, gay, gay. And, um, <laughs> and at some point in his childhood, he had clearly been told, because he explained to me, that um, gay should burn in hell. And so I guess what he decided to do was facilitate that experience for me by whipping out a cigarette lighter and um, trying to set me on fire by lighting my arm hair on fire on the school bus. So that was great. Um, cut forward a little bit later on in life, and I'm you know, remembering that and kind of what the danger is of being different and kind of sticking out. And um, through middle school and early in high school, I kind of picked up a couple of things. One was that I needed to be very aware of what it was that made me different and kind of set me apart and try to fix those things as if there were something wrong with it. So the way that I talked was something in particular. I, I tended to be very nasal. Um, I sounded very feminine um, quite late into life. So I, I very much taught myself to, like, lower the timbre of my voice when I had to talk, my big boy voice. Um, <laughs> And um, the way that I walked, I tended to, you know, swish a little bit. I still do. There are plenty of people that make fun of that now. So I kind of learned not to do that, but I kind of had this weird thing that I thought was good. Like, nobody's seeing me swish my hips, but I was kind of like walking like a Nazi throughout school. <laughs> and um, the last big thing was gesticulation. So, and, and even now, I'm, I have to be very careful of it because I tend to look very rude when people are talking. I, I gesticulate a lot, um, which is a gay thing. So I, I learned to you know, talk like this very much or, or have my hands behind my back. So I very, I very much looked very Nazi all the way through high school. Like, I am not gay. I am not gay. Um, <clears throat> the second thing that I learned was I had to use those things in the event that I had to be around people. But I learned that if I didn't have to be, if it was a group full of people that I didn't know or I was going somewhere that I wasn't familiar with, I just wouldn't go. Because if I didn't know what I was walking into, that was a dangerous thing. I was either going to get set on fire or made fun of or, or whatever it was. So I would just avoid it. The last thing I learned was to try to be funny. Um, and, of course, if somebody's laughing with you, they're not laughing at you. But... I especially learned about self-deprecating humor because I couldn't really change all of the things about me that were funny or, or easily made fun of. So I got very good at making fun of myself um, and could be very mean to myself quite a bit. But again, if I could point out that I walked super gay or I had a swishy walk or I talked funny or I said my S's so much that it was just obvious that I was homosexual, that you couldn't laugh at me because I was already laughing um, and then just kind of move on. And I, I used that a lot through high school. 
And it worked. But what I found was later on in my 20s and adulthood and my early 30s was that that self-deprecating humor worked as a shield and it kind of protected me from a lot of things, but it also tended to kind of wreak havoc on my personal relationships, um, especially those kind of involving, you know, lovers or, or whatever it is. Because it's one thing to laugh at yourself and it's one thing to kind of point out the things about you that are funny, but apparently self-confidence is also kind of important and being the first to make fun of yourself or your weight or the way you talk or how you dress or, or whatever it is apparently gets very old after time. So I become aware of these things and some of the relationships that I've kind of ruined or, or kind of put a, a strain on. And so I decide that, you know, I'll get back into therapy and, and maybe medication is the thing. So this is, this is where we come. Um, after meeting with, you know, a psychiatrist a, a couple of times, several times, it was decided that we would um, go with an antidepressant and clonopin for anxiety disorder. Yes. Um, which I thought was great. I started taking it. I'm like, this is great. I can, I'm comfortable. I can do things. I'm not freaking out. Like, I'm not uh, all the time. I can go places, see people. I can actually even sometimes have a conversation with people I don't know that doesn't involve... Um, but what I did learn last summer was that taking just clonopin was good to kind of get yourself comfy. What I found was if you mixed it with booze, um, you could essentially be Superman. Um, and so I, I got into this fun habit of, of mixing my clonies with my wine or my bourbon or both, whatever it was. So I would have my clonopin before I went to work to kind of get me through the day and not be a heinous bitch all day long. And then I would come home and I would take a clonopin with a glass of wine. And I would start there. And usually within an hour, I had two bottles of wine to myself and a clonopin. So I'm happy, ready to go, good to go. And that started off kind of fine. And then things started getting weird throughout the summer. And there were a number of things along the line that we'll kind of cover briefly here in a second. But uh, not something I would highly suggest. Um, apparently, it, if you mix clonopin and antidepressants and alcohol, and I was mixing copious amounts of alcohol, apparently it can uh, cause a mental breakdown. So that's great. Um, but I had gone through the summer and I... It had gotten so bad, there was this one night that just really sticks out, and this was kind of the, the what-the-fuck moment. So I had gotten home, I, I took my Klonopin, and I, I, took my, I took another antidepressant, um, and I had about two and a half bottles of wine to myself. So I was flying, I was ready to go. Um, I could have you could have set my grandmother on fire and I would have been like, this is a great party, you guys. <laughs> Not at all bothered by that. Um, and then I have a friend that calls and they want to go out to a bar. And so like for a split second, I'm like, I already, no, that's fine. That's cool. That's good. Let's go. You drive though. So we go to a bar and I have about four bourbons. So I'm two and a half bottles of wine in. I've got four bourbons. If anybody has known me for years, I am very much a lightweight. So the fact that I could actually hold this much alcohol and not die um, said a lot at that time. So about four bourbons, he's ready to go. I'm like, all right, let's go home. Well, on my way home, I get a text message. Uh, I'm single at this time from somebody who wants to go on a date. 
normally, A, I would have been anxious and be like, I don't look very good, I need to wash my hair, I'm already drunk, whatever. Now I'm on Clonies, I've got wine flowing through me, I'm like bourbon ready, I'm like, yeah, let's go. So I get home, like I throw on a hat, like that's going to make the difference. And um, I have the forethought to take an Uber, so points for me that night. Um, And I Uber myself over to Empire here from Ghent. Um, And I walk in, and he's already there, and I am stumbling into the restaurant. I mean, drunk. And I've got, like, that drunk sweat already, so, like, I've got it kind of streaming down my face. And he goes for a hug. But here's the thing. I'm kind of a dumpster fire at this point. So I'm, I'm super self-conscious about the way that I look this summer and still now, really, to be honest. But I had gotten into this thing where I was wearing a lot of makeup, right? So I've got, I've got the shit in my eyebrows. I've got more pancake on than, like, a drag queen. I've got, like, some type of lip gloss, like, all kinds of shit in my hair. Like, I'm, I'm feeling sexy. Well, I've got the drunk sweat. So I go in for the hug, right? And I leave, like, an imprint of my fucking face on this guy's shirt. And I'm like, "Mm." Mm. oops. And he goes as he's hugging me, and I'm wiping my face across. I've also, just to heighten it, I've I've got my girdle on as well at that point. (laughs) Double trouble, right? Great night. And, like, he feels it, and he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, really. And, of course, I'm drunk, so I'm like, look, though, it's really great. Uh, so I'm in Empire, wiping my makeup face on this guy's shirt, like showing off my shit like there's nothing. And I sit down and I drop my keys like you do. So I gracefully decide as I'm sitting in my chair to just reach them, except I'm tanked. So I fall out of my chair onto the floor of Empire, which is packed at this point. Um, and everybody just, of course, does that like turn. You can hear the chairs like, squeak, 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 and look. And it's just me. And I'm like, <laughs> so I get up. Guys, I have no memory of what we talked about that night. I have no fucking clue. Um, I know I was shwasted, and I kept drinking. I'm still going. And he wants to go out for a cigarette. And I'm like, all right, sweet. So we get up, and if you've ever been to Empire, the new Empire, or where they moved, they've got the two glass doors, and there's a vestibule in between. Well, I tend to walk very quickly as it is. And I wasn't paying attention, and clearly I'm not seeing very well. And... I walk face first into the glass door, and I mean just whack right into it. I'm, I'm lucky I didn't either break my face or break the door. So now I'm kind of like this mentally disabled drunken bird, just like, bam, right into it. But of course, I've still got drunk face, so I leave the imprint of my drunken face on the door. Get outside, smoke, come back inside, more whatever. And the end of the evening decide we want to go back out for a cigarette. I'm like, all right, I fucking got this. Wham! Right into the door, right again, again, like, but a faster smear this time. So there's like the initial face and then like this apparition of drunkenness on the door. And I'm sure the evening may or may not have been over, but I decided at that point that it's over and we kind of do like a quick hug and I realize... Oh, God. So I just take off running down Granby. I'm running down Granby, running. And I get far enough away, and I'm like, all right, I'm good. I I could take an Uber, but I I just need a little bit of air. Like, I'm a little drunk. I'm a little drunk. I'm a little drunk. And that is the point at which I tripped and fell at the corner of Granby and Brambleton. Um, Got up, 
carried on about my way thinking I'm just fine. At which point I fell down again on Brambleton and Collie, and then I fell down one more time on my way home. Um, I don't remember much falling down, but I do remember waking up in the morning in a pool of my own blood. And I have like, I have a scar on my knee and on my boob somehow. So I have literal scars from this summer. But I get home and I wake up in the morning and I'm like, okay, it, it is fine, it's fine. Well, I end up going to a bar a couple of weeks later, again, with the same friend. And at this point, I'm like, all right, I've got to cool it down a little bit. Well, who sits down at the table next to us? This wonderful gentleman. Um, And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, please don't see me. 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 Hey, you. Hey. Don't I know you from somewhere? Um. Yeah, 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 yeah. We uh, we went out. He's like, oh yeah, Empire. Right. The whole restaurant was worried about you after you left. Where the fuck did you go? Like you, you were like a sprinter, man, like a sprinter. And my friends there, and I'm like, oh god, oh god, oh god. Like melt into the seat, melt into the seat, melt into the seat. And he's talking and talking and just throwing out these details that I didn't remember, you know, falling down and you were so drunk and like your face was smeared. And remember, you were wearing a girdle. Oh, my God. Um, And so they kind of go back to their conversation, and I am sitting there with my friend, and I just shut down. Like, I'm looking into the distance, and he's like, do you you want to go? And I'm just like, I just, I just, just take me home. Please, please take me home. And, um, like, I held it together all the way home, um, and I got home, and I just started to cry. I just started to cry because it just... It wasn't so much that this guy pointed that out. That was certainly his right. I probably would have as well, knowing me. Um, Not in public so much, but maybe like in the bathroom. Hey, can I talk to you for a second? Remember that time you were fucking tanked? Um, But it just reminded me about being in middle school and high school and, and being the butt of a joke. And what disappointed me the most was all of those things that I had taught myself over the years to, like, protect myself... I had nothing. This guy, I was a joke. And I hadn't been a joke in a very, very long time, at least that I'm aware of. And even when a joke came up, I could easily, like, turn it around and make something funny and make it mine and fuck you because now I'm the funny one and, and, and it's over. But I just sat there and I took it and I had nothing to say and I felt super weak and just really disappointed with the fact that I had allowed myself to get this far. The other thing that really disappointed me about that night is I was under this delusion that all of this crazy shit that I had done, nobody else had noticed. Like, I was the only one. So now I've got to sit down and I start making this list of these things. The dinner party that I held that I got so tanked that I burned myself with biscuits and gravy. But I didn't want to burn the gravy because I'm a classy drunk. So I just let it burn two holes into my skin. I've got scars from that as well. Um, Clearly, the time that I fell down in the street, there was the time that I double-booked a date, and they both showed up at the same time, and I just excused myself to go to the bathroom. Uh, (laughs) There was a lovely day where I was actually supposed to come to storytelling, as a matter of fact, and I, for some reason, had invited somebody over for, I guess, what we would call now a little bit of Netflix and chill without the Netflix, except I forgot that I only had 45 minutes, so 
but I was being, but I was being picked up. So I get the knock on the door and this poor bastard's still in the house. And I answer the door and my friend is there and I'm like, all right, I just need to change. I left him in the living room with this guy that I was like about to fool around with just to go change. And I come back and the two of them are just standing there like, I have no idea what is going on right now. So there's like this laundry list of things and I'm going through it and I'm like, my fucking God, like what, what have you done to yourself? At which point I threw away all the pills. I, I put away all the booze that I had and I, I swore to myself, you know, no matter what happens now, no matter what I do in the future, I absolutely refused to set myself up as a joke. Again, I, I went through that in, in middle school. I went through that in high school, being made fun of for something that there's absolutely nothing wrong for and having to protect myself against people that are just mean-spirited. And I swore I would never allow that to happen again. And the most disappointing thing was, for once, it wasn't someone else kind of pointing the finger at me and making fun of me. I had created the situation. And I, I swore no matter what, I wouldn't do that again. I am still a dumpster fire of a human being, even now, but at least I am a happy dumpster fire. And for those of you that either met me last year or have met me the last couple of months, do know, no matter what it was that you met or what you encountered, that was, that was me in an extent, but that was a mess of a me. And don't judge someone based on where they're at in life. Just try to kind of figure out what may be going on. And if somebody's wasted and running into a glass door twice and falling down in the street, they're probably not at their best. (laughs) Thank you. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. I'm Deb Markham, producer of the show. Our live host is Brendan Kennedy. Amber Nettles, Evan Hartley, and Scott Rose provide production assistance. And Jenny Zell serves as our podcast consultant. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.